once again, welcome and good morning. The, uh, this morning we start a brand new series that we're calling Real Spirituality, where we're trying to understand the stories that our culture talks about and the stories that our culture shares and how they interact with the story and the message of Jesus and how we can understand uh, better the message of Jesus in light of these stories. And our culture's medium of storytelling is movies where we gather around and we watch a movie and we talk about them and talk about the story that was shared in those movies. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks just taking a look at some of the more popular movies that were released in 2016 and understand the story behind them and how the message of Jesus interacts with those stories. And this morning, as you probably guessed it, we're looking at the remake of The Jungle Book, a story of an orphaned boy in the jungle, who Mowgli, who was raised by wolves. Bagheera, the panther, finds him and rescues him and knows that he needs a place, a family, a place to belong. And so he brings them to the wolves and he raises them there. And things are going fairly well for Mowgli. Things are kind of, kind of progressing nicely, as it were. But he's forced to leave the pack. And he's forced to go off on his own. And the only family he's ever known, he's had to leave them and now find a new place. Find a place where he's going to belong. Find a place where he can be a part of a family. And running through this whole movie and part of the clip that you just saw and then later on in the movie as well, you have this line that says that the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And it's just understanding that isolated and individual by myself I'm not as strong as I can be, nor am I meant to be, that I need to belong to a pack, as it were. I need a family. I need people around that I can be loved by and I can love them in return. I need a place that I fit in. I need a place that I can call home. And this kind of theme is run throughout the entire movie, and we're invited to ask throughout the movie in various places, you're invited to ask, what does it mean for Mowgli to really belong and to fit in and to have a place of a family? When it was with the wolves, he was asked to behave like a wolf. You see Bagheera in that clip we just saw where he says, I know you weren't born a wolf, but could you at least act like one? And it goes on from there. You see, and you can hear the wolves as they're scampering by him saying, he'll never make a good wolf. He'll never be a good wolf. And when he's forced to leave the wolves, he goes on his own on this little journey, finding where he is, and he doesn't know where he belongs. In fact, in one of the scenes, Akilah, the leader of the wolf pack himself, uh, they're at this watering hole, and they're supposed to get water, and all the animals kind of bend down to slurp up water, and Mowgli, because he's got some ingenuity to him, he gets a coconut shell or some kind of shell and strings a, a, a vine to it and throws it out, and instead of slurping water, with his mouth, he kind of pulls it up with a cup or the bowl and he pours it in his mouth. And Akila, the leader wolf, says, wolves don't do that, Mowgli. Don't be like that. Those human tricks are not for us. And so he is, he's thought that belonging and fitting in means being like the wolves, being like everyone in the pack. And when he's forced to leave, he meets up with this free-loving bear named Baloo. And Mowgli decides, well, maybe this is where I belong. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And just be an easygoing bear like Baloo and just float down the river and have no worries in life and just kind of take it what it is. And throughout the entire movie, Mowgli is, is trying to find a place to belong, to, to be a part of a family. And each group that he comes along, their idea of belonging means that you be just like us. 
just like me. Learn how to do it like me and learn how to be like me. Learn how to do things just like me. And there's this struggle that we see of one side desiring to belong and desiring to fit in. But most of the answers seem to be pointing towards the aspect of become just like everyone else. And it isn't until the very end of the movie. So spoiler alert here if you haven't seen it. It isn't to the very end of the movie that Mowgli understands that he indeed has a particular unique gift that he can bring to the pack and that the pack is better. for. And he learns that unity, he learns that being a part of a family, it does not mean uniformity where everyone is the same, but there is strength when we each bring our gift, our unique wiring to the family And we have a place where everybody can be celebrated and they can participate in the ways and they have been gifted and ways in which they have been wired up to participate. And everyone can be appreciated, celebrated, and honored in their unique way. It is a fantastic story. It's a great story. And it touches into a deep desire, I think, for each one of us, whether we're young or whether we're older, that a core aspect of each one of us is this desire to belong, to be a part of a family, to have a place to fit in, where we can experience people caring for us and where we can care for one another, where we experience people loving us and where we can love one another, and where we can experience people serving us and where we can serve one another. And we are this way because this is how we've been created. This is not by accident. This is not by sheer chance. You and I have been created for this kind of connection, family, belonging. Relationship and belonging are at the very core, hardwired into who you and I are because it is hardwired into how we have been made in our creation. Because you and I have been made in the image of God. And the nature of God himself is relationship. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit eternally existing in a perfect, perfect expression of relationship and of unity. Theologians often talk about the Trinity in such a way that they only make sense in relationship to one another. How they relate to each other. The Father is the Father because of the Son and the Spirit. The Son is the Son because of how he relates to the Father and to the Spirit. And the same for the Spirit, that how they relate to each other, they don't even make sense apart from how they relate to each other. And the success of one member of the Trinity is, is celebrated and, and um, highlighted by the other members of the Trinity. And the, and the pain that is experienced by one member of the Trinity is felt and experienced by the other members of the Trinity. And when you and I engage in this kind of unity, this kind of oneness. We are operating on how we have been made, how we have been created, where the success of one member is celebrated by others. And the pain of one member is felt and experienced by others as well. And it is only when we operate in this kind of unity that we are able to really love each other well, really care for each other well, And the question that this movie raises is good for us to wrestle with this morning. What does unity mean? What does it mean to belong? And how we often are tempted to believe that unity means that we're all the same, that we all think the same, that we all look the same, that we all talk the same, that we all vote the same, that somehow unity means we're all the same. 
But in the passage of Scripture I want us to take a look at this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul calls for a unity in the body of Christ, in the church. And what I want us to look at this morning is what does that call for us, Crossroads Church? How does it mean for us to be a place of unity? And what does it mean for us as our individual families? A place where we can know others and be known. A place where we can love others and be loved in return. Where we can serve others and where we can be served as well. And in short, we can learn to grow in this aspect of unity and where there is richness in our oneness and there's no division, no discord, no brokenness. And in our cultural climate today where division seems to rule the day, it is very good for us to wrestle with with the idea of what does it mean to be unified? What does it mean to be one and in one accord? So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The Apostle Paul is letting us know how intricately connected we are with one another. That the body of Christ, the church, is to be united. Not that we're all the same, but we are united in our love and our concern for one another. To see one another grow in Christ's likeness. To honor God for God's sake. Not that we're the same, but we are united in our love and our concern for each other. And as I can see it, there are at least two enemies to Christian unity And the first enemy is our tendency to compartmentalize people in us and them distinctions. Our tendency to compartmentalize people in us and them. And when we do this, we begin to perceive them in very inaccurate ways. It's what social psychologists called outgroup homogeneity, which is a big fancy term, which basically means the outgroup, the them, they're all the same. Whereas our group, our in-group, well, we're all different. And, and we can't be lumped in with everyone else. That we are unique and we're different. But them, the out-group, they're all the same. We see this kind of homogeneity in the movie, actually. There's fear around who Mowgli is because Mowgli is a man-cub. And you know what man-cubs are. We know what those people are like. And so Shere Khan begins to have fear run, run through his veins and he begins to spread fear among the other animals in the jungle because he's one of them. And you see this us and them distinction and there's fear 
of the them, the other, because all of them are the same. But we, well, we're unique. We're different. So don't try and put us all together in one group. And when we do this, when we engage in, in us and them distinctions, we actually begin to dehumanize the other person and to see them as just some other thing out there rather than an individual person made in the image of God. And we see this all the time in our culture with regard to race, regard to age, socioeconomic status, where people live, gender, politics, you name it. And we find ourselves distinction between us and them. And when we do this, we allow ourselves to be driven by things that bring discord and, and divisions rather than unity. And yet when we follow Christ and we have decided to be an apprentice of Jesus, when we follow him, we find one who consistently and constantly crosses barriers, who speaks to both Jew and Gentile who speaks to both men and women, who speaks to rich and poor, who speaks to the religious and the irreligious. He's all about cross-barrier relationships. And he's not at all about dealing with people as of them. But he walks towards people. And we are told by the Apostle Paul that as we apprentice ourselves to Jesus and we come to Jesus, those distinctions that once defined us no longer define us. That what defines us is our approach and our apprenticeship to Jesus. And that unifies us. Paul says it in Galatians chapter 3 this way. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So friends, if we're going to take serious strides in unity, we're going to have to be proactive and intentional about weeding out the ways in which we engage in this outgroup homogeneity where we view others as just one of them. And one of the best ways I know how to do this is by engaging in cross-barrier friendships. Finding someone who doesn't think the way you think and going out to coffee and having a conversation. Finding someone who was raised in a different part of the country from a different background, of a different ethnicity, and actually learn to get to know them, to hear them, and push against the temptation to distinguish ourselves between us and them. Steps can really be taken in unity when we catch ourselves using these broad sweeping statements like, well, I know all of those guys. But when we can learn to engage in a friendship across barriers and avoid those temptations to just write them off as I know what they think. They all think the same. All those young people, they all think this. Or all those older people, they all think this. All those people on that side of town, they all do this. All those people and push against the temptation and actually cross the barrier and have a conversation and a relationship with someone different than us. A second threat that we have to unity in the body of Christ is when the way in which we constantly compare ourselves with other people. So we have this insatiable desire to compare ourselves with other people, just to see where we line up. 
See where everyone else is and kind of rank everything. And how well are you? How good am I? And we just kind of see where we are. And we give more importance to certain aspects of things. And we give less importance to other things. You're really gifted in this area, so I see really good things about you. And if I happen to have a gift or an ability or some kind of thing that ranks high in my opinion, then I think really good things about myself. And I can think really great things all the time. But if I happen to have a a gift or ability and I just don't think it's all that important and I wish I would have something like you, I wish I would be more like you, well, then I think less about myself and I want to just be like you. And I know I've said this before, but when we compare ourselves to other people, when we play the comparison game, we lose every time. Every time. Because we compare what we know about ourselves with what we don't know about someone else. We know all the stuff about ourselves. We know all of our insecurities. We know all of our upbringing. We know all of this, our story, and we just see a small snippet of someone else. And so when I see someone else and they've got everything together, it looks like they got a family that's great. They've got kids that are doing what they should be doing. They've got all things working perfectly well. And then I see just a snippet of them. And then I look at all my insecurities and how I feel like we're not doing a good job and I'm failing and all these kind of things. I know all about myself and I don't know enough about you. And I compare myself and I feel horrible about myself because I only see the little small glossed over stuff that you portray for everyone. When we play the comparison game, we lose every time. Because either I do what I just said and I have a lesser view of myself, or I see just a small snippet of you and I see how not together you are and how things are not going well for you. And I think, well, we're doing really good. So either I have a lesser view of myself or I have an overinflated view of myself. Either way, I lose every time. I lose because unity in the body is damaged when I play the comparison game and I try to rank someone as more important or less important, someone is more valuable, someone's got a gift that's really great and my gift isn't all that important and I'm sufficient to sit on the sideline because, I mean, I'm not all that important anyway, so I'll just sit on the side. And unity in the body is damaged when we play the comparison game. And our passage this morning helps us to understand the importance of unity where each person is free to bring the gift that they have been uniquely wired up to bring and contribute to the whole body, where each person has a place and a part to play, where we celebrate each other's differences and each other's gifts rather than compare which is more important than another person. And so my prayer for us as a body, as Crossroads Church, and my prayer for us as individual families is that we would learn from the Apostle Paul here And that we would see our church as one body made up of many parts. And we would push against those that would challenge our unity. And we would conduct ourselves in a way that is an example of unity and a unified body together. See, one of the things I find encouraging in this letter here is how Paul describes the necessity of diversity in our body. Paul tells us that the existence of a body, the way a body happens, depends on diversity. Depends on diversity of one another. He says a body wouldn't exist if it was just one eyeball. Good grief. You need diversity. In order for it to actually be a body, you need different aspects. In other words, diversity is not a luxury for the body of Christ. Diversity is not something that we can maybe wish and maybe have occasionally when it comes. It is a necessity, and our body depends on diversity. 
And we ought to be very concerned when we have one single group that dominates the conversation. One single perspective that dominates our conversation. The people that we're around and the people that influence us. We ought to be very concerned if it's dominated by only one way of thinking at one group. And just so you know, we are committed to this as a church. This is why as we conclude the service this morning with communion, you will see two of us leading the communion liturgy. And you will always see two of us rather than one. It is not about one person and his or her gift. It's about our gifts that we can bring to one another. It is why we have a high commitment to diversity on our elder board. And there are both men and women, and there are people from all walks of life and different political leanings and different ways of understanding on our elder board because we value diversity, because diversity is not a luxury for the body of Christ. It is not to be genuinely the church, the kind of church that God intended. Diversity is a necessity for us. But we are unified, not because we understand and we talk and we're all the same, but because we are different and we submit ourselves to Jesus and we seek our, to find ourselves apprenticed to him. The church's purpose, the whole reason we exist is to help people become apprentices to Jesus, to follow after his ways, to do their life in the way that Jesus would do their life if he were living it. And Jesus was always about cross-barrier relationships. Wherever he went, he was always crossing a barrier and not dealing with an us and them, but dealing with individual people. So a healthy church has to have a place where we listen to each person's voice and everybody has a part to play and we hear from different perspectives and we're not dominated by one way of thinking and one way of doing things. And this kind of fellowship, this kind of community, well, this would offer a compelling message to a world that is constantly divided. A message that declares that we don't need uniformity. We don't need to all be the same. And we don't need to have a minimalist view of ourselves, where we don't think ourselves as worth anything. And we don't need to have an overinflated view of ourselves, where we think we're the best and our opinions always have to be gone with. But we have a healthy, God-honoring view of the church where I need you and you need me and we need each other and we gotta have diversity in our midst. See, God, or Paul goes on to say that God has actually intended and designed the church this way. That God has purposed and, and given unique ways and gifts that he has given you to be a contribution to our church family. God has specifically wired you up in a certain way to participate in the family of God here at Crossroads. And our unity won't be unified because we always get along all the time and there's no arguments or no fights or any of that or that we all think the same way. Our unity will be because we have equal concern and equal value for each member of our church family and where we can encourage each person to bring their gift, each person to give their abilities. And we're not sitting on the sideline thinking too less of ourselves and hoping that someone else do it. And we're just kind of happy that the 10% of the people give and do 90% of the work. We're just kind of happy with that. But we're learning to be an active participant in our family here. We're learning to encourage everybody in all walks of life to be a member of our church family. 
The success of one member of our family is celebrated by the other members of our family. The pain that's going on in one member of our family is felt and experienced and carried by the other members. And in this way, we proclaim God's way to a watching world. One of the ways that we can combat this kind of minimizing of our efforts where people are not, not really thinking all that great about themselves or their ability to be a part of the church family is to practice the discipline of encouragement. To practice the discipline of encouragement. You probably noticed in your worship folder there's a little thank you note that's blank on one side. You know that there are people that are in our church family that think that they don't have much to give because they can't stand on stage, they can't sing, they can't you know, do other things. And they just think that their gift is really not much to bring. And so they just, they don't do anything. They sit and we're not really sure that they can. And you know what? It would be a great thing for you to see someone and consider how you might encourage them to participate and be a part and how we need you to be a part of our family. You don't have to sing and be like everyone else. You don't have to have different abilities. You be you. And we need that. What a great gift it would be for you to Take that thank you note and find someone in our church family that just needs encouragement. And just write them a note and say, I'm thankful that you were a part of Crossroads. I'm thankful that I get to worship alongside you. I'm, gr- I'm grateful and I'm thankful that I get to see you on Sundays and I get to hear you when you say hello. What a gift that would be to give someone this week. It's good for us to be in a community or a fellowship of different people because we need each other. But it's also good because it's a way in which we have something to offer this broken and divided world when we live unified. Listen to Jesus' prayer right in the night in which he was betrayed and before his crucifixion. His prayer on that night was this, John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. Not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's not just that our family needs one another. It's not just the fact that we need each other. And, and being a, a fellowship or a community of different people is good. But it also gives a stark and great message to a dark and divided world. That God sent Jesus to reconcile, to bring Jews and Gentiles together, men and women together, rich and poor together, religious and non-religious together in one unity. And it's good for us to conclude the service by coming to the Lord's table. To be reminded that in Christ we are one. That it is because of his grace that we are one body and that we are one family. That we come to this table and we recognize that it is because of him that we have new life and forgiveness. And we can start that right now and last for the rest of eternity. We practice open communion at Crossroads, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and celebrate this meal with us. In a moment, you'll be dismissed by the ushers in the back of your sections. You'll kind of come on the right of your section. You'll come forward. There'll be four stations up here, and you can take the cup and the bread at, any, at these four stations, and you can kind of go back around your section and go back to your chair, or you can take them up here. There's not a rush. You don't have to just kind of walk through. 
Um, but we come rem- remembering and reconciling ourselves to Jesus, remembering his grace for us. And if you have come this morning with a burden or some aspect of prayer or some way in which you want someone to pray over you, then there'll be a member of our prayer team over the kneeler on this side of the worship center, and you're welcome to come there at any time. They will pray with you. They will anoint you with oil if you so desire, and we can simply meet Jesus afresh here uh, in this communion time. But it's also good for us to have a moment of silence, of pause and reflection to to consider and remember the sacredness of this meal, that we come as broken sinners to the cross and we receive again from Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to a moment of silence and reflection. Those who are are serving, you can come and, and get ready. And then in a moment, we'll go with the liturgy on the screens. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are humbled before you. And we ask that you would give us the courage and the ability to walk towards one another in unity. That we might celebrate and encourage one another's gifts and abilities in our family. That we would push against the desire to see all the same. But we come before you at your feet. Give us the ability to live and walk in your step this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.